our best friends and next door neighbors, Willow and Lillian, spill the tea on murder, mysteries, and other things that go bump in the night. So get your favorite teacup ready and let's get into it. Welcome to Cruelty Podcast. This is Lillian. And I'm here with my best friend and next door neighbor, Willow. Hello. Today, we're going to be covering the case of Caleb Fairley, a vampire enthusiast turned murderer. Details of this case are graphic and may upset sensitive listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Yes. So, this month's theme for October are vampire killers. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be drinking the blood of their victims, but it does mean they were either inspired by, acted like one, fascinated with the mythos and lore, whatever. Or legitimately thought they were vampires. Because some of them do. Mm-hmm. So, when Bram Stoker's Dracula was published in 1897, we all collectively decided, once and for all, vampires were sexy, powerful, and supernatural creatures to be admired. Not exactly feared as they were in the old folk legends. Today, vampires barely resemble their roots of being hideous reanimated ghouls that fed on sleeping villagers and returned to their graves at dawn. No, they sparkle and date high schoolers. Which, you know, is a thing. You've seen the Twilight movies, yeah? Yeah. I saw... <laughs> Ew. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I saw, like, the first couple because it came out whenever I was in high school. You know what? Everybody dunks on those movies, and I'm just going to say it. I think they're masterpieces <laughs> of a different genre of horror. Oh, horror? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. If you watch those and don't walk away feeling like you've just come out of a fever dream because you took too much mescaline, and I don't know what to tell you. They're wild. They're wild. I can't sit through one without getting a migraine and, like, existential dread because I don't know what's happening really strange but we've kind of defanged the vampire today and you know back in the 80s and 90s vampires were still cool we had like the lost boys movie and vampires were monsters they're like the perfect blend of man and monster but the guy i'm going to talk about today caleb fairley he was all monster so when i talk about cases i like to I don't know. I like to highlight and honor the victim in this case. And the victim here was, her name was Lisa. And she was just a wonderful person. She was beautiful. She had just, you know, her and her husband had an 18-month-old daughter named Devin. Mm -hmm. She was described as hardworking, caring. She had a big heart, ambitious. And what I like about this case, and I don't mean so much like, but I find interesting, is the dichotomy between the victim and the perpetrator. And the way that their lives were kind of like a a yin and yang. Where hers, all of her visions were light and beautiful. And that's how her life was. And that's what she wanted for herself. Caleb's life was depressing, dark. And so were all of his fantasies. And eventually his reality. And it's almost like the perfect storm was created between horrible murderer and, you know, really beautiful victim in this case. And Lisa... Mandrak was her name. She was married to a man named Jimmy, and they met when they were in elementary school. And this is, I know it's so sad to me too, and they became really good friends, and they actually didn't get romantically involved until she was in her mid-twenties, after he'd already been married and divorced. But I mean, she saw him through all that as his friend, and then they found love together, and they were madly, deeply in love. They loved their baby girl, Devin. She was a forklift operator, which... Absolute badass. Badass. Absolute badass. And on the weekends, she helped her husband with his janitorial business. And as an aside, I don't know if any of y'all have worked in the cleaning industry, but I have for many years. I was a janitor at a metal fabrication plant. Um, These are the type, it was like the type of company that made drill bits for like Halliburton. And there's graphite powder everywhere. And I worked my fingers to the bone. That is not light labor. It is really, really hard to be a janitor. I know, Willow, you did some cleaning work, yes? Yeah, at the Crescent. At the Crescent Hotel. Mm -hmm. Any type of janitorial work is just really hard. So she is working on a forklift, like, five days a week. And on the weekend, she's helping her husband do hardcore cleaning in a janitor service and volunteering for Meals on Wheels. And a mother to an 18-month-old. 
Whoa, she's just a boss babe. Sorry, right. I hate that <laughs> phrase, but she's you know, a badass bitch. She's a badass bitch, mm. and she was she was just described as so loving and so caring and so generous. And her and her husband built this beautiful life together, and it was shattered by an absolute maniac loser. That's just kind of the only way to describe right. this guy. So. It was on September 10th, 1995, that Caleb turned his love of vampires and make-believe into something very sick and twisted into reality. And he shattered the lives of this beautiful family in a senseless, horrific act of violence. Caleb Fairley, you know, I describe Lisa having this beautiful life right. with her husband and her baby. And, you know, I think even though he, when he had his imagination and he let it go, he thought of dark things. I think deep down everybody wants fundamentally to be loved and accepted for who they are and to build a life for themselves where they feel admired and appreciated. Mm -hmm. Caleb never had that in his life. And that's why, I mean, I'm supposing a large amount of resentment. Oh, crew. yeah, absolutely. And you have to wonder if it wasn't so much that she just looked the way he wanted her to as a victim or if he resented her for how she right. looked. And I think, I don't know, I think it's a bit of both in this case. And I mean, I don't know, I, I, I don't know this case, um, you know, I'm hearing it for the first time right now, but I know that just by being the person that I am, people watching, I am obsessed with just watching people and, you know, just being yes, curious. And, and I know that a lot can be observed at first glance. And whether he knew the victim or literally just saw her in passing, I think that somebody that had her life um, she's show... Gonna look she, she's going to look different. Looked. She's yeah. going to show... That happiness. She's going to show that, she um, that love. She had her that shined. She's, yeah. she's going to have that type of beauty that just exudes all over her and her family and her little child. And whether he saw her for five seconds or he knew her for years, that's exactly what he wants. And he's going to grow resentment quickly Ooh, if he has that type of evil you know, in him, which oh, he obviously funny. does. funny. You just gave me the chills because I haven't even gotten into this case with you and you were just... Mm, you're calling it. Really? Mm. Yeah. I love that. That's Girl. delicious. <laughs> it is good. So, Caleb lived in a big family. He was the oldest of five children, which is a lot. I have three, and it's a lot. And it can build a lot of weird dynamics in a home. Oh, yeah. Uh, my husband is the, like, second youngest of six. He was raised Roman Catholic. And all of his family are, like, rocket scientists and, like, lawyers that got educated, like, Oxford and so my husband's an artist, and you know, <laughs> the starving artist thing is apt. It's not because my husband is a bad artist, it's just because his art's a hard sell. But then, you know, you have siblings who are a literal rocket scientist. Literally, he works for SpaceX. <laughs> and, you know, you feel like the black sheep, perhaps. And I think Caleb definitely felt like the black sheep in his family. He was socially awkward always, like literally from the time he was born. And he was overweight, and he always felt very sensitive about his weight. And this is back in the 80s and 90s. Like, this, in the 90s, y'all, heroin chic was a thing. I was just about to say that, heroin chic. Not only were your eyebrows supposed to be skinny to the point of non-existence, but so were you. And I'm a, I'm a curvy lass. And I wasn't particular. I was not overweight in my teens at all. It took having three kids to get me there. Um, but I still got bullied for being fat, and I... I promise you I wasn't. I'm 5'10 and I weighed 130 pounds. I was very athletic. I played tennis. I know it's like unheard of a goth playing tennis, but it occurred. And I don't even I have an it. adorable mental image of you with your giant 90s goth hair with it your was... winged eyes. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> tennis. Tennis. Why not? I think it's because somebody said like I couldn't and I that run on like spike. You. That sounds like you. Yeah. So I always like to look back on a perpetrator's life to see if there was anything there that would have shaped them into the monster they become. Absolutely, every time. And when Caleb's brother, David, it was his younger brother, was four years old in 1989, he accidentally shot and killed himself with a family gun. A four-year-old? And that was David's main playmate. A four-year-old? I mean, Caleb's, excuse me. Yeah, four years old. 
And you oh know, my God. I can read a lot, of, a lot into that. Number one, that is a senseless tragedy. Yeah. And I don't like to blame people, but don't leave your guns lying around. I, I have a phobia of guns. I don't like them at all. Mm -mm. But... Uh, I'm fine with guns as long as you practice proper gun safety. Right. Um, but I can't imagine what that did to that family. No. Um, and David, I, I mean, excuse me, Caleb witnessed David. He saw it happen? Yes. He it's saw not a song directly happen. I think he saw the immediate aftermath. And I believe. That is heartbreaking. Sometimes parents, too, will have resentment towards children who live. Especially if that child is awkward that happens and disappointing all the time. Yes. That happens quite a bit. And, I mean, it happens a lot with, you know, the quote-unquote terrible parents. But it happens a lot with, you know, just normal everyday parents. It's, grief is hard to process. Grief is very hard to process. It's not, there's no rule book, no. you know, there's no, like... It's not linear either. Absolutely not. So and, I believe that event really set the tone for his family. Right. And it wasn't a good environment for Caleb. Now, in school, Caleb was a good student. He was kind of an overachiever. He made really good grades and seemed quite bright. But what I find interesting is when I go back and I look at the interviews with his teachers, because, of course, such a horrible act, um, the news wanted to go interview people who knew him, you know, like, oh, he was a loner and he was weird, or, oh, he was so nice. You know, it's always that sort of thing. He had interviewed some of his teachers who said he was slow. Now... Again, back in the 90s, we weren't as, you know, nice with our language. I think today we might say learning disabled mm -hmm. or some other neurodivergent quality, maybe ADHD. I'm not going to diagnose anyone with anything. Right. I, again, we have mentioned in our intro cast that I'm a community college dropout. <laughs> and I'm a beauty school dropout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything. I just really, I find psychology absolutely fascinating. Absolutely, but I'm not going to diagnose someone I don't know. Absolutely. That seems irresponsible, weirdly. But anyway, they called him slow. And what I find interesting is that he wasn't. He was not learning disabled. He was in several gifted and talented classes in school. He was really good with computer science, which was kind of a newer thing back then. And still yet, he was still getting looked down on. And I think some of it had to do with not only uh, how socially awkward he was, he had a difficult time communicating but also in his appearance. Um, people just mean. Yeah. And he was a chubby kid, and they were not nice to him. Um, he had a very, you know, big kid kind of look. And I think they looked at him and just thought, slow and stupid. Mm. And they treated him abysmally in school. As you can well imagine, he was teased relentlessly through school. Uh, he was bullied, and he was the type of person that never stood up for himself. He was very passive. He just took it, and that just painted a giant bullseye. You know, I was bullied in school um, until I became scary. Uh, I, I did stand up for myself, but I had to do it, like, really harshly. I even had to, like, hit a girl one time, and it was the only way to get people to leave me alone. You know, your parents will say, oh, laugh it off or don't say anything. No, if they've picked you, if they've targeted you, there is nothing you can do to get those mean-ass kids to stop. And they, and like repeated interviews from people who knew him say that the bullying went from elementary all the way to the end of high school. He never got a break. It's devastating. It is devastating. He lost his brother. Mm -hmm. He's already kind of awkward. He doesn't like the way he looks. His mother is constantly disappointed in him, like almost for existing. And so this poor kid. And it sort of started morphing into a difficulty talking to women especially girls, um, not only his age, but just women in general. He did have one girlfriend in high school, and she said that he was very bright and very sensitive. But the more she got to know him, she just believed he had an intense fear and hatred of women. And she believed that it stemmed from his relationship with his mother. She was overbearing and overcritical. And, man, we always go and blame the mama. Well, there's, <laughs> no matter what, there's always a strong connection between mother and child. Absolutely. Typically. Kind of a sacred bond deal going on. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have a good relationship with your mother, um, you know, good things can happen, bad things can happen. You can either learn to not do as you were shown by her, 
mm-hmm. or you can go the opposite route. You know, and I want to point this out because this is something I struggled with. I had a horrific relationship with my mother. Right. She was um, an alcoholic. She was exceptionally abusive in every way a person can be. And I didn't do that. I didn't hate women or have weird mommy issues. Um, And it wasn't because I got therapy because I eventually did. I just think that some people have something in them when they're born that maybe nurture like a good parent could have helped them overcome but when it's like adding the match to the gasoline. Right. I think there's something already really deeply broken right. inside of Caleb that all of these mitigating factors only exacerbated. And because I just don't feel like, I don't know, I was bullied, had a bad mom. Right. I didn't kill anyone. Right. And I think that's yeah. why you and I are both really into stuff like this, um, dissecting true crime cases yeah. like we do, is because we were there and we didn't kill anybody. No. Yeah, so what made this guy tick? And I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound super corny and cheesy. I literally have never wanted to kill anyone in my entire life. Ever. Would I have been sad had they flown off a cliff and exploded? No. But I don't want to do it myself. I can't even fathom it. It, like, makes me kind of physically sick, which is weird because I get we're macabre and a little morbid and everything, and we want to poke at the skull in the woods with the stick. But when it comes to the actual act itself... I, I don't think I could do it. I just don't under any circumstance. Even if someone like hurt me, I guess maybe if it hurt my children or in an act of self-defense, but like a premeditated violent act. That's why I'm fascinated is what is different in those people. Cause right. I'm not a saint. Let's be clear. Right. I'm kind of a shit. And you have almost all the exact same variables. <laughs> right. That's what strikes me. You know, I come from an abusive background. I was bullied as a kid. I was poor. Like, I was homeless. I did do drugs there for a while. And you know what? Never murder. Never thought about it. Right. Was sad. That's kind of where I went with it. I was just kind of sad. Right. And I, I mean, I do think that it might have to be some sort of... Something's wrong. Something, you know. Wires got crossed. Yeah, there's there's some mismatched wires upstairs. And, you know, like, because I don't believe that a person with no, I don't think a, a neurotypical person could commit a violent act like that. See, I'll disagree with you on that one. I think they could. Yeah. But I I don't know what it is. It, and this is an age-old kind of argument, nature versus nurture. Right, right. Like, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it both? Right. And I think in Caleb's case, both. Um, I just think the act of violence and the act of, though. like, violent murder is something wrong with that Well, person. I think you can kind of hardwire yourself into it. And we're going to get into why. Definitely. I, I, just I, I see you on that. Yeah. So... As you can imagine, he has, like, a horrible home life. School is hell. So where does he go? He has nowhere he can go to escape. Mm -hmm. He turns to Dungeons and Dragons. I love D&D. I know. Me and Willow played D&D, and we were just murder sluts. We were. It was fantastic. (laughs) All of our characters just... We didn't even do any adventuring. It was just banged all the NPCs. Uh, we, We banged everyone. We accidentally killed a few people. Remember that time I blew up an entire city on accident? Yes. It was beautiful. Remember when we took the enemy cleric and put him in the bag of holding? I was about to say that. And then he the time... In there, <laughs> he had sex with a random guy in D&D for his bat cloak that turned you into a bat. Yes, that was that cool. That was awesome. Yeah, your sluttiness saved the day several times. <laughs> I'm here to serve. <laughs> yeah, D&D's harmless. I just want to D&D say that right now. so much fun. It's good for kids, too. I really believe it can help teach you math and communication. Um... I have a son who's on the spectrum, my youngest son, and D&D is really cool for stuff like that. It really helps him kind of branch out and be himself. Yeah. It's really cute. I know. And, and just for our listeners, um, another thing that's really cute about us is that our sons are um, a, a month, month apart. apart in age, yeah. Which your son was born a month early. Yes. So they would they have been born have on the same They should have had the same, same birthday. Day. I know. And they are, like, practically best friends, too. They play online together all the time. And they're both very short. And they're both very small. And they're both yeah. very heavenly children. They're cute. And and they both love D and D. Was yeah. yeah. And Minecraft. And, and Minecraft stuff. and all this stuff. Of course, weird. Like, like thirteen year old doesn't love Minecraft, right? right. Again, 
Back in the 90s and 80s, there was the whole satanic panic, which is if your kid played D&D, he was going to axe murder you in your sleep. I think they're like, I have two legitimate cases involving D&D. I'm sure there's more, so like, you know, don't come at me with it, but it's going to be rare, and I don't think D&D is what drove him over the edge. I think D&D was his safe haven, and that's how he had friends. Like, he wouldn't have had friends otherwise. I mean, D&D is a safe haven for practically anybody that plays it. And, and, and another thing he got into was the goth culture. Now, in the, in the like, mid to late 90s, it really blew up. Okay, we had Trent Reznor made that video closer. I was 14, and I was like, this has awakened things in me, okay? And um, I think every 14-year-old girl felt that at the time. They're like, yeah, I'm goth now because Trent's hot, and that song made me feel feelings. And, you know, you have kind of the accumulation of this kind of fear of goth people in their dark clothes that happened with Columbine. And I'll talk about that a little later. I even got pulled out of class my senior year and taken to the principal's office after the Columbine shooting to be talked to if I was in the trench coat mafia. And I was like, do you see a trench coat? I wouldn't wear a trench coat. I'm not the crow. What is wrong with you? God. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was nuts. So if you don't know about the satanic panic, I would like to recommend a podcast called Behind the Bastards by Robert Evans, and he does a whole, like, three-part series on it. But basically, people believe that satanic cults were, like, kidnapping and torturing children. Um, and they weren't. It was all a bunch of horse shit. And the whole panic with D&D was kind of roped into that. And then it kind of, like, bled into also being afraid of goth kids. And all of these things were complete horse shit. I, I really believe it was completely harmless. Um, but here's where, with Caleb, it starts to get a little weird. So after school, in high school, Caleb would come home and dress up like a vampire. I mean, he's alone in his room, and he's just dressing up like a vampire. I don't know. It's a little weird. It's what did weird. he do after he dressed up as vampire? I tried to find out. Because I thought, are we going to go prowling the streets, like, going, bleh, at people or whatever? Right. I think he was into uh, the role-playing game Vampire the Masquerade, which is D&D, but with vampires. Right. And it's kind of, a, it can be, like, tabletop, but a lot of time it's live-action role-play, which is where you go dress up in an outfit, and you kind of pretend to be your character. It's super fun. Vamplarp. Vamplarp. <laughs> and I, I did in high school, but that's because a really hot guy led the campaign and had long hair. I figured out my love of vampires is just fancy men with long hair. That's it. I don't care about the blood drinking stuff grosses me out. And usually they're immortal and like really smart and they're like, I've crossed oceans of time. And I'm like, ooh, that's very sexy. I wish someone would cross an ocean of something for me. No? Okay. <laughs> so after high school, um, it's where it even kind of gets darker for him. Because, you know, in high school, at least he was making good grades, right? At least he was a good student. But he found, like, the self-paced kind of environment of community college really challenging and difficult. And it's kind of people from all walks of life, people of all different ages in community college. You'll have older people. you have people fresh out of high school. He could not hang with this. And he dropped out pretty, like, after a couple semesters, much to the disappointment of his mother especially. She just really let him have it. And it's around about this time he started developing an addiction to really sadistic pornography. And I would love to tell you all the gory details. I mean, not love, I guess, but I wanted to know. I mean, I feel like if I'm going to really dig into a case, I want to, even if it's terrible for my brain to look at, I want not to see the porn itself, but I want to know exactly what he was into. None of the reports. And I read the court, like the court documents, like the literal minutes of the case. They don't say, they just called it very violent and sadistic pornography. And so, I mean, I don't want to tell your imagination to go wild because who wants to think about that? But then again, the times were very vanilla, so... Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, where was the spectrum there? You didn't have the internet like you do now, mm -hmm. and you couldn't access, like, horrible porn like you can now. Right, that's why I said that, because, like, there's no porn way that you could... Porn addiction back then, to the degree that this guy had, it was kind of... I'm not saying it was real rare, but it, I mean, rare enough that he went to a lot of trouble to get this stuff. It wasn't something you could find at, like, your corner store. 
You had to get like the like the mail in yes, uh, yes, magazine kind of and stuff, stuff like that. And it was so vile that like the investigators were completely disgusted. Mm-hmm. And um I really think I'm not gonna dunk on porn. I don't wanna do that, but I do think that you can hardwire, if you're going to combine sexy time feelings and looking at violent images, especially of women being degraded and beaten and hurt, I think you can, you can awaken something in yourself. Right. Because you are associating pleasure with seeing someone else being killed or hurt, even if it's fake, and you know it's fake, like this is, the girl's not really hurt, she's just posing for a picture. I still think it can do something to your brain chemistry. Right. I mean, how many times have we seen it? A lot. How many times have we seen that happen? A and lot. and and that's why there are positive venues to go down, you know, like BDSM and things like that. There are healthy boundaries. Very healthy boundaries, safe words and all of that. There there's no comparison between BDSM and what he was looking at. From I, what exactly. I understand. Yeah. Again, I don't have all the de- this case it's, it's frustrating in some ways because there's going to be another couple things that I'm going to bring up that I can't give you a lot of details on. There just aren't any. And either it was because, there, you know, people were embarrassed or it was decorum or whatever. I mean, there might have been crime scene photography shown at the trial, but there are, there are no pictures of this to find. And I'm, it's probably a good thing if we're going to be honest. So, yeah, after he dropped out of college... And he's indulging in this fantasy world that he's created. He's, you know, in his room dressed like Count Dracula and, like, whacking off Uh-oh. to, like, some yeah. sick shit. Okay. His mom's just had enough of this, this bullshit. Right. And so she buys a kind of a resale shop for kids' clothes called Your Kids and Mine, and she makes him go to work there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Not a good place for him to be. Oh, I think I've heard of this case. Yeah. It was there that oh, he would no. meet, yeah, Lisa Mandrick and little Devin, and where he would make his sick fantasies a reality. Oh, I hate this case. I hate this case, y'all. It's terrible. Oh, my God, I hate this case. So on September 10th, around 3 p.m., Lisa told her husband, Jimmy, she wanted to go shopping specifically at your kids and mine because she had seen it when she'd been out the previous day, and he didn't feel like going with her because it was Sunday and he was watching football. He asked if she needed to take the diaper bag with her because she was bringing baby Devin. She wanted her husband to get to enjoy some alone time watching the game. And she said, you know what, now I'm only going to be gone about 15 minutes. So a few hours pass. And that's when Jimmy began to get worried. Now, witnesses and family and friends have all said they were the type of couple that wouldn't go an hour without calling each other if something was amiss. And me and my husband are like that. Like, uh, today, I had to drive my son. Again, we live in a small town. It's like 2,000 people. I had to drive him, like, a four-hour round trip to the orthodontist. And my husband will message me, like, please tell me you're not dead. (laughs) And they didn't have cell phones back in, you know, 1995. I mean, yeah, they did, but they were, like, the size of a loaf of bread. Most people didn't have cell phones back then. And they were in your car. But most this was not accessible. This was, like, if your parents were, like upper middle class and they were they were a middle class family they did okay but they weren't like rich and so jimmy is really worried it's almost dinner time and his wife and daughter daughter are not home so he calls his siblings his brother and his sister and he's kind of freaking out and they tell him hey man you're overreacting you know she probably just like met up with a friend or she grabbed some food or something you know don't worry about it that didn't sit right with him, but, you know, he thought, well, maybe I am overreacting. Maybe I'm being a little, you know, like, controlling. And so he waited. Now, sources, I really looked into this to see when he first called the police about his wife. And there's only really one, like, newspaper report that says he called the police around 9 p.m. I don't believe that at all. I think he called way sooner than that. Yeah. I think he called around 7. Um... I don't know, he was just really worried about her, and the police, after talking with him, first assumed that Lisa had left him and taken the baby, and so they asked him to check around his house to see if any of her stuff was missing, if any toiletries were gone. He's immediately frustrated. As one would be. He's pissed, because he said, look, she didn't even take the baby's diaper back. Yeah. And, you know, in cases like this, the husband 
is always the first they're going to suspect, you know, be the suspect. But friends and family told the police, hey, Jimmy and Lisa were happily married. They were very much in love and something else had to have happened to her. Now, this is the worst part and you're going to be sad. I'm so, already... You're already almost I'm crying. I'm already almost yeah. crying, y'all. What Jimmy didn't know when he called the police is that a couple hours before, hikers had found the body of a baby girl with bruises on her face and neck, and she it had been clear she'd been thrown out of a car and had rolled down an embankment into some leaves. So when Jimmy was told this, his entire world collapsed. He was too distraught to go and identify her body, which was at the hospital before they took it to the coroners. His brother had to do it. And it was, it was deafening. And I can't imagine. Your wife's missing. Oh, no! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My husband's next door with our seven-month-old baby, so I'm just... You're uh, just you're being there. Yeah, I'm there. You're there. And it is September, yeah. And so that's, that's very sad. Um, and what did it, you know... The police are still suspecting Jimmy. What an evil monster. I've not even got into how terrible this is. I hate how terrible this is because this was really a beautiful family. Yeah. So the search began then. Because Jimmy knew where she was going because she told him before she left, the police found her car parked right outside of the Your Kids and Mine in that shopping center. So first the shopping center was searched. People there were questioned. They searched, you know, adjacent stores. They searched a grocery store. And then the search continued. There was some hope, even though it was slim, that she might still be alive. And so after they searched that shopping center really well, they extended it to Valley Forge National Park because that's where Devin's body had been found. They got bloodhounds, helicopters, search and rescue on foot. Found nothing. And in fact, there was even though not really any evidence much on poor little Devin's body, there was no fiber evidence. They thought likely because she'd been tossed from a moving vehicle and had rolled down the embankment, any kind of like evidence like that had been lost. The first actual clue came from a woman who had been in the Your Kids and Mine and had seen Lisa and Devin in the store as she was leaving the store. And her eyewitness account matched a purchase made on the register's tape. It was the last purchase of the day. And... That kind of proved to police that Lisa and Devin were alive at 3.39 p.m. because that's when the purchase was made. But what was strange is the store closed early that day, and that was the last purchase. The store usually closed at 5. So already they're kind of, hmm, yeah, that's a little strange. So detectives contacted the owner of the store, your kids and mine, and that was Ruth Fairley, Caleb's mother. She told them that her son had been working there, and they asked him over the phone if he'd seen Lisa and Devin. He denied it. He said he'd not seen anybody like that at all. But he did agree to come into the police station and look at some pictures, like pictures of Lisa and Devin, to see if he recognized them. And that was a mistake he made, one of many. So when Caleb went in, the detectives noted that he was wearing poorly applied makeup. It wasn't a color that matched his skin, and it was very heavily, like, caked on. And they thought that was really weird. And so without even asking him any questions, without showing him any pictures, they asked him to wash it off immediately. When he washed his face, it was completely covered in scratches. Oh, my God. So, I just, what I think, you know, he's purported to be a bright young man. He's 22 years old, by the way. And I'm not sure why he thought that would fly. I think when you live in your own head, reality becomes really warped all around you. And I think he was so out of it that he thought that would be okay. So, of course, you know, immediately the detectives are like, what happened to your face? And he said the night before, he'd been at a mosh pit in a concert. Caleb Farley was a lot of things, but a good liar he was not. I was going to say, I'm, I'm small and I've been in a mosh pit. I've been in so many mosh pits, y'all. never. I mean, I've been banged up a little bit, but when Those I are say... Those not scratches on your face. And, you know, we'll put this on our Instagram to show you the picture of his face because it was chilling with all the scratches. And when I say all the scratches, I mean dozens of them. All deep, bloody scratches all over his face because that's how hard she fought. 
So the police obtained a warrant for the Fairleys' home. There is when they discovered his stash of violent pornography. They also discovered what they described as a strange sexual device. Now, y'all, I wanted to know what that was. <laughs> I bet you did. Hey, hey, my mind was not there because this is a terrible case, but I want to know what I'm curious. What on earth? I just picture it as like a penis flattener or something. Oh, what? That's something I made up just now. Because that's what I'd like to do. For people like that, just flatten your wiener. You don't need it. Flatten. And I'm picturing like a hair straightener. <laughs> I I keep picturing that, that meme of like the the penis head opener and then hot sauce dripping that's in. That's enough out of you. <laughs> I, I, I hate this man. I do too. I hate, I hate him. him. He sucks. Now... Of course, that device, along with what kind of pornography exactly, is never, ever described in any of the documents or the report, nothing. And I really dug on that one. I went to Reddit and it scares me there. Yeah. They also found a... T okay, I'm just going to preface this part by saying I think it's stupid and the police make me mad in this particular case. They found a t-shirt with two vampires on it drinking the blood of a woman who detectives thought looked a lot like Lisa Mandrake, who had long dark hair and pale skin. Hey, listen. Number one, I looked at the t-shirt. It don't look a thing like her. It is a black and white t-shirt. What are they talking about? And it's from Vampire the Masquerade. How do I know? I own the shirt. That is my connection to this case. I own the shirt and I thought it was kind of hot. I was like, she don't look like she having a bad time. But I'm sorry, you're really going to jump to that kind of conclusion? They are reaching. I get they want to nail this guy. They already have enough on him. They don't. That's the problem. What? They don't. Because DNA evidence wasn't widely used back then. Everything they have is completely circumstantial, which I'm going to get to right now. I don't know. There's some, there's some other things they could have pointed to instead of a dumb t-shirt. Like in 1992, Caleb got into trouble for groping and fondling women. Golly, that seems a lot more like pointed towards his aberrant behavior than a dumb vampire t-shirt. And yes, he was obsessed with vampires. He also went to a goth club called The Asylum. Sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I want one. It was a pat. They had it like the walls were padded and everything. And they played the Vampire the Masquerade there. And then when, you know, the, the people who went to that club were interviewed, they're like, look, we're just goths and nerds. Yeah. Please leave us alone. Yeah. We're not killing people. This is not like a sex death club. I mean, that sounds kind of lit. But that's not... <laughs> you just said lit. I know. I have teenagers and it bleeds. It bleeds into my words. so weird. I said yeet the other day. And then my kids were like, nobody says that anymore. And I'm like, you know what? Well, you, I heard it like 7,000 times. I get to say it now. <laughs> Now, now that it's, it's not, not cool and you're embarrassed, <laughs> yes. But yeah, uh, so I want to go real quick to the part where I got pulled into the principal's office for wearing all black. They set me down. They asked if I was sad. And I was like, not, not particularly. They're like, why are you wearing all black? And I'm like, well, it's hot. That's why I look very sexy. That made the principal uncomfortable, which was the entire goal. <laughs> He's like a 70-year-old man. I don't know. He's very old. And he was like, okay, moving on to the next question. He goes, do you hate this school? And I was like, I don't know. I don't really care about the school. I just want out of here, man. And he was like, well, you know, are you in the trench coat mafia? And I was like, I don't know what that is or care. Sounds lame. Sounds like somebody who's wearing crow makeup. And I think that's stupid. I was really snobby and shitty when I was 17. I'd like to point that out. Anyway, they went back to your kids and mine, and they started collecting evidence. Somebody had, a witness had seen him vacuuming around 5 p.m., and so they checked the vacuum cleaner. They found some long, dark hairs that, you know, visually were very similar to Lisa's hair. They used um, UV light, and they found a big saliva stain on the carpet. Hmm. They also found peepholes drilled into the changing rooms so he could watch people change their clothes. And I'm going to assume children because this was a children's clothing store and that's wretched. 
They also found more of his violent pornography stash there. And they found a big semen stain. On the pornography itself, they found some blood. But just little drops. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a minute? For, for those of you that obviously can't visually see me right now, my mouth is agape. agape. Yes, that's the word I'd use. I, I cannot believe this. It's real gross. Yeah, yeah. I really want to vomit. Now... I would like to point out, I know this seems like smoking gun stuff, but this is all circumstantial evidence. We still don't know where Lisa even is. They haven't found her at right. this point. And so the saliva is matched to Devin, and the semen is matched to Caleb. I know. It's pretty bad. And I'll explain why later. I, I don't want to explain it. This only proved they were in the store. It didn't prove that he killed them. So detectives then go to Fairley, and they take all the evidence they've collected and he did what he'd done a hundred times over, and he caved, like wet toilet paper. He just disintegrated. He never stood up for himself. Why is he going to start? He told them he would take them to Lisa's body as long as they did not pursue the death penalty. Now, the detective on this case has said that was the hardest decision of his career. I mean, maybe. I think they could have held out. I'm going to be honest. I think they could have found her. They could have held out. But they didn't. They accepted that. Yeah, but with, right with such a, a, a terrible case, you want it done. Yeah, you, you really know? do want it done. It's the. I mean, the public is already... And I mean, do you really want to waste time on a beautiful mother that, you know, is out decomposing in the elements? No. No. So on September 12th, only two days after Lisa and Devin had gone missing, Lisa's body was found. Caleb Fairley had taken her to some woods behind an industrial park five miles from where he'd tossed little Devin out of his car like trash. Her body was posed suggestively. She was nude except for a black lace top that had pulled up to expose her chest. He'd placed her hair over her face. Now, what's interesting with that is a lot of killers do that. It oh, does yeah. show a measure of remorse mm -hmm. because they feel watched by their victim. They feel guilty and ashamed of what they've done. But in Caleb's case, I don't fucking think that's true. And I'm going to tell you why. Now, it really doesn't come out exactly what happened to Devin and Lisa until the trial. And it's rough. I'm just going to warn you guys ahead of time. If you are sensitive, this part's going to hurt. Because it hurt me. The biggest surprise in this case is that she didn't appear to be sexually assaulted. There didn't seem to be any injury and though they did a vaginal swab, I could not find any record of, like, the results of this. And so I don't think they were ever released because I don't think there was anything. The trial went into excruciating detail with his confession. Lisa was the woman of his dreams, and he was her nightmare. He saw her and immediately wanted her. He wanted her. He didn't think murder necessarily he just wanted her he wanted to possess her like an object he locked the store when lisa and devin had gone towards the back to look around then he cornered lisa and tried to rape her she valiantly fought him off and that's where all those scratches came from she beat his ass enraged he strangled her and then he turned his rage on devin and that's where the saliva on the floor came from because he'd strangled her and that's just you know, fucking terrible. He was so upset that he couldn't rape Lisa that he masturbated over her dead body and ejaculated on the floor. So that's where the semen stain came from. Once done, he put their bodies into his car. He tossed Devin down that embankment and he drove five miles to pose Lisa in a humiliating way. He returned to his mother's shop and cleaned up. The hairs in the vacuum were microscopically similar to Lisa's. DNA testing was not much of a thing back in the in the mid-90s. It just wasn't. I mean, it, you'll find some cases where it was used, but it's not used regularly at the time. The argument at the trial, though, wasn't even about whether or not he had murdered them. He had confessed to that. It was whether or not it was premeditated. And his defense was that it was not premeditated. It was kind of a... He went into a blind rage when he couldn't rape her, which is disgusting. And, you know, and then he just choked her before he even knew what happened. His lawyer argued that you could choke someone in three to ten seconds. First of all, bullshit. That is an absolute lie, and I'm nowhere near a doctor. No, 
I've been choked many times. Yes. It takes much longer than that. Sorry, y'all. Now, what happens is frequently a victim will lose consciousness in three to ten seconds. That's true. But they are not dead. It can take up to nine minutes. And Lisa was fighting him, you guys. She had five broken ribs because he was kneeling on her chest to keep her down. She fought. And, you know, uh, that argument is ridiculous. It was completely premeditated. He wouldn't lock the damn door. Yeah. And cornered them. Yeah. Disgusting. It was premeditated. You know he wasn't going to let them leave that store. If he just raped her, you think he was going to let her go? That's not what he wanted. I think he hit her face because he hated her. He hated what she represented to him. A pretty girl that wouldn't give him the time of day in high school. I think it had nothing to do with his obsession with vampires. I think that was just why he was kind of a weirdo. And right. why people made fun of him further. Right. I think he did it because he hated women. And she represented all the women that he wanted and couldn't have. So he snuffed her out. The jury only took three hours to find him guilty a first-degree murder on both counts. He was given two consecutive life terms. Good. Now, hilariously, he continues to appeal for a new trial up in, like, as recently, I believe, as 2012. And he is stating that it is unconstitutional to hand out a life sentence to someone who is under 18 at the time a crime is committed. Well, that ding-dong was 22. So Yeah, I was like, what planet is he on? Like, he was yeah. 22. So he fails at that. As he failed at everything else he did in his life. What a fucking loser. All appeals have been denied. And he's still in prison in Pennsylvania. And this case took place in Limerick, Pennsylvania Township. And what's weird is like, it's one of those towns, kind of, it's bigger than here, but we're like considered really wholesome. We don't have violent crime. No. And Limerick was like that, like the perfect place to raise a family. Again, this was just the perfect storm of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and being the kind of woman that really set him off. Someone beautiful and kind and with their own inner light because he had none of his own. And I hate him. I I'm need speechless. a palate cleanser after I'm, this one. Yeah. 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 Really, really rough. And, you know, what can be learned from something like this? I don't know, to be honest with you. I think some crimes are just senseless and gross carry a weapon on you at all times i mean she fought him he was a big i know guy. i know he was big i know and she was little and i and i don't i don't mean to sound like you know oh i know you're she not. didn't do enough because oh, no, that she woman did. she fought for her life oh she's so amazing um and she's so beautiful and her and her baby it just kills me and her mother said something really beautiful and i'm gonna i'm gonna get a little emotional she was thankful that the death penalty wasn't on the table because Lisa was vehemently opposed to the death penalty. And that's really? what she would have wanted. And I think, oh. God, her mother's beautiful. You know, what a right. beautiful thing to say. I'd have killed him myself. I'm about to. I'm about to march myself. Willow's <laughs> ready to go on a road trip. We're going to go to Pennsylvania. And we're going to break into a prison. And we're going to kill a man. Shank him. I'd oh. like... I don't know. I, I want him to die in a ridiculous way. I want him to die slowly. Wow. Slowly and Here, painfully. I'm going to end, end our like ways we'd like to kill a guy. Because I want to honor Lisa at the end of this. Right. I really do. I think she was a beautiful, wonderful person. And I'm sorry that happened to her. And I'm sorry to her family. I can't. I cannot imagine her last couple moments... Of no. being attacked by this giant, disgusting, while terrible, while your precious angel of a baby is yeah. a year and a half. You got to celebrate one birthday. That's taken away. And that child. Ooh, I, I mean, a one, a one and a half year old can they, walk. They know enough to be scared. They're, they're screaming. They know mom's upset. Yeah. She's screaming. She's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. He's a monster. And much worse than, you know, the fictional monsters. We talk I hate about. him. I do not like him at all. And he sucks. And I don't know. I think if you have a life of pain and disappointment, boy, there's just way better things you can do than that. 
That's no excuse is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say that even though I covered his background, I don't think that's an excuse. No. And I wouldn't use it as one. No. As I always like to say to my kids, hey, it's not an excuse, but it's a reason. That's, that's, yeah, you stole the words right out of my brain. Um, sucked them right out of there. Yeah, you did. Because I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> speechless right now. It's a bad case. I'm, I'm going to go home in a couple minutes. You kiss that baby. I'm going to hold and kiss that baby. I'm going to take him out of his crib, out of sound Well, we're going to wake him up. I'm going to wake that baby up, and I'm going to hold Ooh. him, and I'm going to kiss him, and I'm going to snuggle him back to sleep because I... Well, I'm going to do what I always do, and I'm going to sneer at my teenage children, and I'm going to say, it's gross in here, go to bed. (laughs) Teenagers are really gross. They're disgusting. I love them, and they're funny, but they also make my life hard. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I'd like you to join us next time. What are we going to be covering, Willow? Oh, an equally... Disturbing, terrible case? Absolutely terrible terrible case and i cannot promise that i won't cry on that one either cool i have some <laughs> tissues ready yeah yeah uh what's the case is it the it's the rasta vampire rasta jesus? vampire jesus which man. sounds funny it's not it's not he's he's one of the worst human beings that have ever walked this planet but because he's so bad i want to make fun of him okay we can do it we can dunk on him yeah he's yeah. a piece of shit he's a shit and on that note y'all have a good night Find us on your social media platform of choice. Linktree slash cruelty has all of the links. Check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, merch, ad-free episodes, live ghost hunts, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie B.